Welcome back to the Strong Asian Lead. My name is David Masami Moria, and thank you for tuning into our podcast. Um, we've got a lot going on, and I, you know, just appreciate that you're tuning in every week. Uh, I see people who are we're constantly getting the same listeners. I appreciate that, and I think that's you know a test our fan base. So, um, you know, you don't have to do anything for us. I think it's really just about. Uh, listening to these conversations and you know hearing from new people that's what i appreciate i i just want to be here to help others um as much as i can as much as the expense of my energy that i can give to people that's what i'm trying to do so anybody who's uh been listening to the podcast since the beginning or even if you're a new listener turning in uh thanks for having this conversation with us um we're gonna drop this on wednesday so actually i'm recording this on the tuesday before on the 17th um, you know, we are a little bit behind. He's got a busy week last week and, uh, we have some personnel changes. So it's been, um, yeah, it's been rough, but you know what? We're going to keep going uh, as long as we can make things happen. Uh, that's the whole point. So thanks again for tuning in, uh, today. Uh, I'm actually going to, since today is Tuesday, uh, I'm actually going to go see a couple of films this week. Um, and we're excited to kind of have this conversation. So tomorrow, which is today, uh, if you're listening to this on Wednesday, which is today, the 18th, we will be having a clubhouse conversation on Shang-Chi and the legend of the 10 rings. Um, I just want to hear what people are talking about it. I want to have some people ask me the question, like, what do you think about it? And really just want to hear what other people think. So, uh, please tune into our clubhouse conversation at 6 PM Pacific time. It's 9 PM Eastern time. We're probably going to change the time zone just to get New York back in the game. Uh, so maybe around four o'clock. So then it's not so late for New York and East coast. Uh, and then on Thursday, which will be tomorrow, if you're listening to this on Wednesday, we'll be having mixed Asians in media conversation on clubhouse with, um, a bunch of other mixed Asians, uh, including Alex Chesterblank, um, Ryan Alexander Holmes, Soma Helmy, which today she's on the podcast today, and a couple of other really great folks that we want to really mention highlight. So we will having that conversation as well on Thursday. Both of these clubhouse conversations will be posted on our podcast. So feel free to tune in if you would like to ask questions and just be there live, or you can find it on the replay so we're really thankful i think the last week i said i was going to make those premium things but you know what? i think this is just going to be free i think those conversations should just be for everybody so um you know we're just going to keep posting them as long as we keep doing them we'll keep posting them we'll have uh, more conversations there uh, i think what this podcast will turn into is like anybody who's who doesn't have time to do a full clubhouse conversation we'll do an interview or if we want to get in depth on something we'll do that uh, but you know, for right now we'll have open conversations on clubhouse and think that's the best place to, you know, voice your opinions, ask questions and do that. And it's open up to the community. So definitely doing that. But today on the podcast, we have Soma Helmy. Uh, she's a friend of mine and just doing amazing work in the directing and make filmmaking space. Uh, I will let her introduce herself on this part, but you know, she's got a crowdfunding going for her, um, project the weekend and it's already made over 50%. I really, you know, I'm proud of it. And I really want her to do and make this story. Uh, she'll introduce it in the, in the podcast a little later in her interview. But, you know, I think that's, it's a really a testament to see, um, you know, when our friends just build a project from scratch, do so well in competitions and, um, directing fellowships. And she's just, you know, every, t I've met her on clubhouse and we've been, um, just, just seen her, her work grow so much. So it's just really cool. So I'm glad to have this conversation with her and it's honestly just been great so much to know her and just have great conversations that go into depth and have more representation in so many different ways. So without any case, here's my interview with Soma Helmy. All right. Soma, so glad to have you on the podcast today, and thank you for taking some time out of your super busy schedule. You're always doing something, so thank you. <laughs> thanks for having me. We've been in talks for a while on on our API Creatives Group, and I've seen your your work, whether it's be your short films, your continued efforts in directing, and so many different programs. But I'd love for you to introduce yourself to the audience and where you're coming from, where your hometown is, um, and maybe a little bit of your career background. Sure, yeah. Okay, so I am Soma Helmi. I'm a director. I'm originally from Bali. I am mixed Indonesian, and I always say I was born in a rice field and now I live in LA. Career background I got my start actually in advertising. I was in 
I was an art director at J. Walter Thompson in Jakarta for many years before I got into film. And rewind further back from that, I actually used to produce and art direct my dad's photo shoots for him because he's a photographer in Southeast Asia. And so I used to do that since I was like 16. So I've been on sets for pretty much most of my life. Wow. Yeah. Mm. And now I'm in LA directing. <laughs> what, what made you change to that? What was that transition like? And what made that change from one career to the... To- I think when I think about it, I always wanted to be in film somewhat. I remember being in high school and seeing all these kind of cool blockbuster movies and thinking, I want to, I want to make movies, but I never really knew how to do that or a way to get into it. And I, I actually went to college. I went to university for a multimedia degree. So I did a bit of everything. I did animation and graphics and all kinds of stuff. And I I got a little sidelined into doing graphic design and that's how I ended up in advertising. And when I started doing art directing and advertising, we would have all these big uh, brands that we were shooting a couple, three times a month sometimes. And every time we were on set, I would just look at the other side and just be thinking, oh my God, that's where I want to be. And I'd watch the director and I'd just think, I want to be doing what they're doing. Why am I sitting here on the client side? So I just picked up a camera one day with a friend and we made like this funky little narrated kind of Balinese fairy tale thing. And it was just so much fun. And I just got bit by the bug and I really wanted to keep doing it. So narrative was the way. That's cool. Yeah, yeah I think advertisement's really an incredible industry, but it's also just you're serving someone else, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I used to direct. I still do direct commercials. It was just that seemed like the easier like step from art directing advertising and then directing commercial spots. But the mm-hmm. love is always narrative. So what brings you into directing versus writing or cinematography, even editing? Uh, <laughs> what pulls you into that specific position? It's one of the most first ones, but and great for storytelling. But everybody has their paths. What brings you into yeah. directing? A couple of things. I think I- I've tried my hand in a lot of departments so when I was first getting into it yes I was making my own little shorts but I was also I've been a wardrobe assistant I've been in the set deck I've been in the art department I've done operating so I've tried a little bit of everything and I just knew that the I would be happiest if I had my hand in everything I would be happiest and Mm. I tried to figure out what that is and to me that's directing you can work on the story but you can also work on the technical look and feel and work with actors and you get to really shape the story if you're directing it I guess directors are maybe control freaks in a way (laughs) where you have to have a little your hand at everything Uh, but so that's one thing but directing itself I just think there's something so magical about taking words on a piece of paper and you can transform it to pictures on screen that everybody can see. And I just knew that I wanted to have a hand in shaping all of that. that yeah. Sense. Yeah. I think that's directing such a, it is hands in everything. Cause then you, if you, and I think it's really important that good directors have their roots in a little bit of everything. So they can speak to that department can speak Absolutely. to the editors and how you want it cut and you know the the j cuts and the l cuts and you can talk to set deck like now that doesn't look right or you can make it with this <laughs> oh absolutely and you don't have to be an expert at, no. at everything because i think that gets a little overbearing but just having knowledge about from pre to post and you can shepherd you can help but you can also tell people if they're saying they can't do it you have a little bit of knowledge about it and you're like no you can't it's possible, so you can't get the wool pulled over your eyes either. You can help them figure out solutions. It's just, I think it's absolutely vital that a director has knowledge about all the departments that they are. You're asking people to do things for you. You should know a little bit about what you're asking them to do. Yeah, speak their language. And then when you can say, yeah, when they have a question, you're not saying, I don't know, ask somebody else. You say, right. okay, let's put our heads together. Let's, what can we think of? I think yeah. that's really important. Yeah, and I think there's, there's, it's okay to not know what you're doing with some things. And I feel like sometimes directors are not given leeway to to do that. But I, I absolutely believe that you have pulled together the best people in their respective departments. So let them help you and let 
the collaboration happen because it does take a village you just have to be able to make decisions I think is the thing and you have to just if you don't know the answer you can always say give me a minute let me think about it or you can say what do you think what's your opinion and have a conversation about it but I, I think it's dangerous also to say that a director has to know everything all the time oh completely yeah they don't have to be the master just someone who can speak <laughs> Right. Or, and just say, have the taste to know if that's what mm -hmm. they want or not. Decision making. Right. <laughs> so what's your creativity and project experience in this past year? You've put out work and you've worked with other people in the pandemic. Like I, I haven't done that. So what has that been like? What have been the biggest struggles and the biggest advantages if there are? Any? It got off to quite a rocky start. I have to say last year, at the beginning of last year, I was actually offered my first episode of TV. And it was a big moment and it was wonderful and going to be life-changing, except that the pandemic happened or at least the shutdown, let's say, happened pretty much the next month. And so that episode never happened for me. And it was a little bit of a heartbreaking thing because not only that happened, I had another big gig go away because of COVID. So there were struggling with trying to figure out how do you stay relevant and how do you stay creative with all of this going around and obviously it was such a difficult time not just because of COVID but all of the political upheaval and the social issues it was just it was hard to stay focused but what I did what did a couple of things happened I was in this group called the future women of tv of 2020 I don't know if there's a more ironic title but we were all on the cusp. There were 10 of us and writers and directors, and we were all supposed to make it that year. Some of us had just got our first episode. Some of us had features that were lined up to shoot that summer. And it was just like this incredible group of people. And we were all in the same boat, like one by one, every, everything got pulled the plug on. But the thing that helped was being in that group of like-minded people where we were all like, all right, let's pull our sleeves up let's figure out how we can turn this to our advantage. So we ended up meeting with, I think, over 50 execs over the year to come and speak to us, showrunners and producing directors, to still be networking and still be relevant, so to speak. And it was a lifesaver because I feel like for a lot of people, perhaps their career felt like there was a, just a massive full stop last year especially since for directors the ones trying to break in weren't given opportunities obviously for obvious reasons because I had that going that kind of kept me sane so I could still be writing and I could still be creating like I didn't have that feeling of all is lost mm. and then because of that group I, I met a couple of writers who really I was on the same wavelength with and I just said, why don't we start a writer's group? Why are we waiting for someone to tap us to do it? And the three of us created this, like a season outline. And we wrote the first pilot script. And we just jammed all year long. Like once a week we would meet and we would have our own little mini writer's room. And it was just, I think, relying on your community of like creative is, was the, the way that I got through it. I would just tap people and just say, hey, you want to do something together? I know we're not going to be on set or let's write something. Let's be creative that way. Or let's talk to whoever who could inspire us to make another project. So there, were, there wasn't a lot of like production, obviously, on set happening, but at least we were writing and we were still being creative that way. And then at the tail end of the like a couple of months ago, Shisa Darso, a friend of mine, we had been talking about doing a short together for a couple of years now, I think. And we just finally decided to do it and gathered a couple of friends. This was like right when people were getting vaccinated mm -hmm. and a couple of us had been fully vaxxed, a couple had been half. And it was just like that, just when things were opening up again. And we just decided to make this fun little action short and that was the first thing I'd shot outside of since the pandemic shut down. And it was so much fun. Yeah, and it was an incredible piece too. And the action was fantastic. The visual effects looked good. Thank what a fun you. piece to put it all together too. And, and how quickly did you put that together? It seemed pretty, generally pretty fast. 
very fast. I think from me and from Yoshi and I going, right, let's do it. We were, I don't know, like four weeks, maybe three, because we had to wait for availability because we got uh, Mika Ishikawa in to, to be the lead and she's wonderful. So we had to wait kind of for all the stars to align with her availability. Yoshi, I think, was had a shoot somewhere. He's always shooting something. And we had to make sure everybody was there for that weekend. And I think it was just that waiting for everyone to align. And it wasn't long. I think it was three weeks or a month at most. And then all the pieces just fell together. We were like seven people, though, including the two actors. Yeah, so it wasn't a big deal. And we shot on a rooftop on this kind of really cool downtown building. And I knew that I wanted the first thing out to be very controlled and very small and vaxxed people. And we, one of those seven people was a COVID officer. <laughs> very safe. Mm-hmm. It was so much fun because... You know, Mickey and Ryu are just amazing. They were so good on screen. So I'd love to go into your background a little bit. What was your experience like growing up in Bali? And, you know, with your artistic vision out there and then the transition to the United States. That's only been like for five years by now. So I would love to know your your experiences in your industry and stories that that you want to, do you want to tell us more stories about from Bali and those backgrounds or? Yeah, I, I've been in Bali like off and on. So I was there full time when I was a kid and then I went to school and university outside uh, of Bali. So I haven't been there full time from birth to, until five years ago, but uh, probably half my life there. This time before moving to the States, I was there for seven or so years. I was trying to be a filmmaker in Bali. And it was, there's a big film industry in Indonesia, but not necessarily in Bali. It's Most of it happens in Jakarta. But I was living in Bali and shooting outside of Bali for most of the time for commercials, for films. It was I was always flying everywhere. It's a beautiful island. And there's a couple of people trying to make productions happen there. And I believe now there's... There might be a studio opening there. I think that's the latest news. But when I was there, it was I was limited by the types of stories I could tell, whether they they had to be obviously set in Indonesia or Bali. There's a lot of beautiful rice fields, but you are a little bit limited on the kinds of stories you can tell there back then. I think, like I said, my first short I did was this telling of a Balinese fairy tale that our 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 nannies used to tell us. So I'm very mm. interested in those old mythologies and fairy tales and retelling those. I think that they're, they're so beautiful and they're also, they're fading from our memories because a lot of the younger generation, the kids are not being told these stories. So I would love to keep doing that. I think that's so important, keeping up all those traditions and figuring out a way to do that in a modern setting maybe. But like I said, I felt a little bit limited in what I could do in Bali in terms of really fleshing out like a big film career. I could move to Jakarta, yes, but I was convinced to move to LA by a couple of film friends. And here I felt like a little bit like a kid in a candy store because in Bali itself, when I was shooting there, there was like a handful of actors and that was Mm -hmm. it. So you didn't really cast things very just, a lot. We have everybody together and let's go. <laughs> exactly. It was like, oh, a friend of a friend. Okay, let's go. Mm-hmm. And who's writing? Nobody. Okay. So mm. I'll write it. But here, like the first short I did here, I did an open casting and there were like 300 applications or, you know, submissions for one role. And I was like, oh, it's overwhelming, but wonderful at the same time. But I think... I, I, I got very excited and I shot, I don't know, like four or five shorts in two years or something. And just to be able to explore the different types of stories I make here, you, you can go all out on job or whatever you want to kind of stories you want to tell. And then now I feel like in the last couple of years, I'm coming back around and concentrating more on like, how do I tell stories about perhaps things that are closer to my experience about being mixed, about being part Asian, about how do I, how do I see the representation on screen that I've always wanted to, if that makes sense. I feel like one of the things that we always talk about with like my Indonesian friends is why is there such a lack of like what you're 
Yokold, strong Asian lead, a strong Asian male lead. There's no romantic leads really in Western and like mainstream media that are Asian men or Asian women. And so we're just trying to figure out a way to do that. And how can I contribute to that mm. in a meaningful way that's positive, that you know, will be received well in a, in a wider market? is what I'm aiming for. No, I think it's, I, in general, it's all of our responsibilities to start doing those stories because if someone else does them, how well are they going to be received? When, when we put them together, we're, it could be the same thing. It's the same con concept, how well they can be received. But at the same time, we're coming from a place of knowledge and a place of uh, wisdom about our own, our own communities, not even just Asian, Asian America, but like Indonesian and uh, Southeast Asian east asian whichever community you're coming from you're going to find something more uh, nuanced about it what's the difference where is that culture because right. i love what you said about your old stories your nanny would tell you because there are so many folklores and stories that our grandparents and their grandparents would tell for ages but i wasn't told many any of the stories that they had i'm starting to find them in books oh yeah. this is a really old classic story in, in from yeah. japan I'm sure my grandmother didn't even hear that because, oh, she did hear a few of them, but you know she doesn't know the Japanese, and to that language barrier cuts us off too. Right. And so, and the younger kids are learning different languages and and more into tech and getting mm -hmm. into the the stuff. So it gets very yeah. lost. So for us to start bringing it back and in, into film and te television entertainment, like we're the only ones that are going to be able to tell those stories in a proper way. And not be white centered and, and white gaze. I think that's really important. Yeah, and I think there's there's definitely an effort in Indonesia now to to make that happen. And interestingly, I think it's the younger generation who like it skips a couple of generations, and then maybe some of the younger ones are now looking back and saying, "Hey, what are these stories that we were never told? Can we bring them back? Can we bring some life back into them? And can we keep them alive? Can we share them?" Mm -hmm. So I think there's definitely a movement for that because I've seen a few really interesting things starting to happen or have been happening in the last couple of years that are really exciting coming out of Indonesia. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to the, I guess you can call it the retelling mm -hmm. of these classic mm -hmm. folk tales. So yeah, keep an eye out because I think that there's some beautiful pieces coming out of Indonesia. I think that's super cool and, and important work to do because that becomes something that we can put online. We can put on uh, globally, people can watch it and get a taste, no, I don't want to say taste of the culture, but an, an insight to different folklores and different ways, uh, you know, because a lot of those times have morals attached to them yeah. and those cultural and traditions of morals start to um, fade if we don't keep telling them. And I think that's, that's, that's a valuable thing to keep doing. Yeah, and I think something that will come out of it is also the kind of idea, or not the idea, but the reality that we all have similar stories mm -hmm. across cultures, in Western cultures also. Like all of these stories of morality and right and wrong, I think every culture has a version of it. And having them shared, I think, might help to bring us together maybe the fact that we have a lot in common and i'm sure maybe old kind of nordic folk tales have something in common with a balinese fairy tale maybe i think it's there's something really beautiful about that yeah we were i think i was talking with a friend about there's got to be an asian romeo and juliet but oh, it's yeah. totally <laughs> different enough we're like yeah it's, it's pretty much the same but like also very much the, the way it's told who's the characters all that's totally different i think it's gotta <laughs> be because there's you know those princes and princesses and different kingdoms and prefectures and all that kind of stuff so oh, yeah, yeah i think those are we'd love to talk about we talked about you being mixed identity and your asian identity and then we had a quick conversation about do you consider yourself asian american mm. even if you're you've only been here for five years but you're here, like, you know, love to hear what, <laughs> That's you know, a complicated answer, I think. Yeah, no, I, but I think it's, I think it's super valid. It's a valid thing to think about because I hadn't even thought about that either. So we'd right. love to hear your opinions on what, how you identify as your identity. <sighs> That's kind of ever-changing thing. So mm -hmm. I was born in Bali and yes, I was mixed. I was a mixed light-skinned girl in a Balinese village. 
It was complicated. I think at times did not have the best time. I unfortunately there was some bullying and teasing involved despite being born there and born in the village and whatnot. I was felt othered at times, but I was also surrounded by incredibly beautiful, wonderful family and friends who didn't make me feel that way. So it kind of it was complicated. I also, I think, was struggling with the idea, the, the fact that I was mixed and that I'm so light-skinned made living, I think, in Indonesia perhaps maybe more difficult than if I were not light-skinned. Because I was in Indonesian, I would go to places and the conversation would always be, but where are you from? No, but mm. where are you from? And they would not mm. believe that I would just say, Bali? I don't know how to answer this question. No, but where were you born? Also Bali. And it's just this grilling until I would say my mom's Polish and they would all sigh with relief and say, oh, you're Polish. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a little bit complicated. And then when I moved to the States when I was younger, I would then get, no, but where are you from? Because I had a funny accent and I spoke Indonesian mostly or you know English with a weird accent and I would try to point out where I was from and they wouldn't know where Bali was and it was just still wow. hard to explain I've also had the what are you question mm, yeah that's the best. <laughs> what are you you know in, I don't know if you watch Shadow and Bone but there's a scene in that where she is presented before the king and queen and the queen looks at her and says what are you? Because she's a mixed character in the show. And it's obviously some kind of Asian looking race that she's half of. And that scene just hit me in the heart. I don't know how to explain it when they she did that. What are you? And the girl, she couldn't answer. She kind of got stuck. And I was like, oh my God, haven't we all like been in that situation? So I think oddly, only in the last couple of years, being here in in LA and slowly meeting more Indonesians here or Indonesian Americans, Asian Americans, I've started really processing it and feeling much more, much more like where I should be, much more at peace with kind of being mixed. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's hard. I have hard moments where I still rail against like, why do you care what I look like? This is, I, I, someone told me the other day, I don't remember what context it was. It was like we were talking about diversity and inclusion and they said, oh, only there's half of you at least in the diversity group. And I was like, what? What do you mean by half of me? Like I'm a whole person. I don't understand what that means. So it's a very long answer. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's, no, it's, there is, no, it's not a long answer at all. Yeah. I think even being mixed in itself is a diversity inclusion part of it. And also yeah. being half of it. And I don't understand that. Yeah. I've always had that I don't same know if thing they too. understood what they were saying either, no. but it was, I just remember being cut really deeply by that because it's, how do you say that to someone? Cause you, they're a whole person. It's all mixed up in here. I'm not just suddenly like I can only half of me do a diversity thing what does that mean we're not half people we're it's we're not half in half out and right what does saying half always just feels like you're not enough yeah and that's the thing yeah i've definitely been because I, I remember you i used to say that because that was the more accepted terminology but mm -hmm. i think i i feel more comfortable with mixed mm -hmm. but i was also going to say that since being here in la uh, the last couple of years, especially actually in the last year and a half with all the kind of upheaval, I feel like there's been a lot more solidarity. I feel, especially with the slowly pulling together like a Indonesian group of filmmakers here, there's definitely, I feel a lot more included because we are, we're all, we're not in Indonesia, but we are either mixed or full Indonesian trying to kind of form a community here. And there's not there's never really a discussion about, oh, you're only mixed or you're, you're only half or whatever it is. It's just we're just happen to be a group of Indonesian filmmakers banding together. And yeah. it's great and it's wonderful. You're accepted. Yeah. You're just being, right? <laughs> yeah. And it's really great. And I feel like 
that may be the long answer to the Asian American question because yes, I, I wasn't born here, I haven't lived here that long, but I feel like I'm identifying and being accepted more as that than I have been anything else. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think that the Asian American culture is it's its own thing for sure. And then finding your own communities beyond the Asian community. Yeah. You might have a women's community, then you might have an Asian women's community. You might have the right. larger multi-gendered Asian Asian Americans, but then finding your Indonesians, your Chinese, your, your Filipinos communities even it not only breaks it down, but you start to find uh, really strong acceptance and cultural you know, similarities that you start to find. This is definitely people. Not that mm-hmm. the larger community isn't a part of me, but mm-hmm. being in these uh, smaller communities that feels almost like home, food and understanding, acceptance and that without a question. You're just there. They don't have to question, what are you? What kind yeah. of race are you? What kind of ethnicity? Like you're in the Indonesian group, you're probably Indonesian. <laughs> yeah, and it yeah. feels really, I think you you obviously have a good understanding of this too, but when you're growing up and you don't quite know where you belong because it's made clear that you don't quite belong in any one group, it's really nice when that's stops being even a conversation and I know that like the generations before us have had it much much worse than us like my dad's generation I think it was very difficult because he's actually Turkish Indonesian he's Turkish and when he was growing up the bullying was violent in Indonesia it was violent he got into a lot of scraps and fights and just and then because he's obviously darker skin he would he lived around in western countries also and was severely bullied there also but now i feel like maybe with each generation it gets hopefully a little bit easier and it's not this kind of rejection of us and i hope it gets easier and easier because i really i have friends now who are having mixed babies and i just think oh gosh please make it easier for them as they grow up yeah it's like a foreignness on top of the foreignness for others yeah yeah and it's isn't there like some statistic at some point like in the next few years it's gonna be mostly mixed people yeah so (laughs) start accepting it but yeah i'm hopeful i think it's getting better and better and it's wonderful to feel like you have a community. So jumping off of that, Hollywood plays a huge role. And then obviously you're working towards building a better narrative for Southeast Asians, Indonesians, and your own creativity. What's your experience been like advocating for Indonesian storytelling and working with others who are you know, also Indonesian and building a new narrative? So it's interesting because I feel like I've written a lot of things that have had Indonesian characters or Indonesian stories. But ironically, when I was in in Indonesia, that's not really, it's not really an issue there because obviously (laughs) they don't need Indonesian representation. But it was still a thought of mine for the Western media and the Western culture. And when I got here, before meeting a few people like Yoshi and other Indonesian filmmakers, I I never knew any other Indonesian, like, actors specifically here so I had a bunch of things written but I could I was reaching out and trying to find people to make it with me and make content with me that was Indonesian focused and it's only been in the last like two years where that's starting to happen I wrote a feature with my friend Sam where we're actually talking about the machines are starting under my house can you hear that no you know you're good you're good okay okay so It's been an interesting journey because I think now that we're gathering that community that I was talking about, I feel like we're in a place where we can start creating and we can actually start making these stories come to life on screen rather than just having a bunch of scripts that I felt like I couldn't find people to collaborate with to make them. So I really want to make a feature that's got an Indonesian-American lead, a little girl who lives in Texas. And also recently, I have just, I, should I talk about the thing that I'm trying to do? Yeah, I think so. I would love to hear more about it. We're going to put this out in like towards the end of August. So I would think your crowdfunding would already be up. Right. 
Yeah. yeah. Okay. I would love to. I think the audience would love to if you don't want to. You no, I, I absolutely will. I yeah. think that there's one thing that I have always found I gravitate more. So when talking about inclusion and representation on screen, the way that I like to, to tell stories and the way that I like to share that is by casting and by just presenting a story that just maybe happens to have Asian American or AAPI characters living their life and living their existence. And it's not necessarily a moral story or a lesson or about representation or do you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? I just love the idea of it. They just happen to be that and you have a glimpse into their life, maybe at home. They eat Japanese food if they're Japanese characters, but they still it's still at essence, let's say, a rom-com. Mm. And they just happen to be AAPI leads. And you have a glimpse and you can... I feel like that to me is the, the best way to share. Everybody has their way. Obviously, we can have really important stories about history and about the way people are treated in this country, all those wonderful things. The way that I like to have to do it is just by just sharing these stories that are every day that are perhaps a romantic story about i don't know if i'm rambling i don't know if no that you're makes good sense. no no um, i understand i think uh, it's the whole idea of that one we're just we're people living in right. uh, certain areas where if you're in america you're you're dealing with things you might have different food you might have a different idea and opinion you might have some different background different family members that don't aren't just white but at the same time we're doing a podcast right now. So right. a screenwriter. I go out and do go get groceries and I meet people at a yeah. bar. And we have those same, those are universally the same. And when you have a rom-com or a thriller or a mystery, those are all stories when you can add an Asian lead who's someone who not only looks like us, but then has the same food. But at the same time, we're watching that story play out because we're so interested in the suspense, the love, the right. the universal stories that we just crave in every movie. Yeah, and I think it's just, there's something to just showing that it's just a human experience. It's You don't have to other it. You don't have to mm-hmm. put a wall up. You don't have to be scared, maybe, some people. You don't have to be angry. You don't have to be any of It's just a human experience. They just happen, maybe... People look different. I don't know if that's like really naive, but that's the way I like to see it. I really liked, I really love Never Have I Ever, that opening scene where she's praying to Ganesh. And it's just such an everyday thing, but she's an American, leaving an American typical teen life. But she's just maybe at home, has she has an Indian family. I, I just really love the way they handled that. So that's my thing. The next project I'm doing is actually, I, I, wrote and I'm going to direct a sci-fi, grounded sci-fi, romantic sci-fi story called The Weekend. And it's an all AAPI cast. And it's starring Yoshi Sudarso, who is an Indonesian American actor. That's something that I feel like we haven't seen much of, mm-hmm. an Indonesian American lead in anything in a kind of mainstream or Western media. So I thought that was really important. And uh, it's going to be a short film, but it's a proof of concept for a feature or a series idea I have. And we are starting crowdfunding for that actually on August 3rd. So I'm just really hoping to get a lot of support from the community, but just also from the wider people who love genre, because it's Mm -hmm. really at its core, a grounded sci-fi story. Whoever is the lead and whoever's driving the, the story Yes, we have some Indonesian-specific story elements to it, which I think is important. At the core of it, it's, a, it's the story, isn't it? It's how you tell the story. and Is it engaging? Is it interesting? Is it all the things that it should be? Yeah, the cultural uh, differences doesn't drive the story. Right. No one doesn't make it feel like it needs to be an othered section, like in the Asian representation, is the sci-fi representation, right? right. The sci-fi genre, that's where it goes. Yeah. And, and to build in that storyline just happens to be new characters and with who have different backgrounds. You can't, I, not that you can't, I wouldn't want to put an Asian in the lead that you don't see some sort of pair of chopsticks eating rice at dinner. <laughs> like there's that, those are the little differences, but it doesn't mean... But everyday things, they're yeah. not things that you necessarily have to put, you know, a microscope on or mm-hmm. a focus on. It's, it's, it's just an essential part of their identity. And I think that's really important, like sharing that. 
and not again also you don't want to just for the sake of it being an right. asian american mm-hmm. character no there's a reason he is an indonesian character and the backstory of the whole sci-fi element of it comes from indonesia so that's mm. why he has to be an indonesian character but again it's sci-fi fantasy it's otherworldly and that's where kind of the core of it is it's a sci-fi fantasy story. yeah we don't have to explain why he's asian he just says exactly and i love that i think that's just i think that's the best and i I love to do that in my writing too it's just conversational like in 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 this script they the two women there's two women in a room and they're talking about how their parents are they run the arisan which is like this i guess gambling is the wrong way to say it but maybe it is i don't know but there's it's an activity that kind of indonesian especially older women indonesian actually younger generation are getting into it now that it's very like any indonesian reading that script would immediately be like oh yeah okay like i get that (laughs) but it's not let's explain what arisan is to the audience it's just kind of part of the conversation yeah, we know it's a game. We know it's game. There's some money involved. Like that's all we <laughs> <Right>. know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I'm like belaboring the subject, but it's. I think that's just the way that I like to throw it in. Yeah, but that's important. Like Japanese, I don't play Go, but Japanese play Go and have different things. And Japanese Americans love to gamble. That was the biggest thing that they used to do all the time for sure. And but it doesn't matter what game they're playing. We all understand what gambling looks like, <laughs> and we all know what, what passing the time looks like, and making bets and all that stuff. It's all the same, but yeah. what you're, the way you're doing it is different. Just see how other people do it is really interesting, and then you might explore. Yeah. Oh, what, what's that game? It, that might yeah. be a fun game I want to play. <laughs> yeah, and I love the idea of presenting that to maybe an audience who hasn't seen it, but in a way that. Right. Is, is I guess inclusive is such an overused word, but it's it is. You can you can become interested in it and you can be curious about it and it's just a periphery though, because at its core, it's a love story that's set in a sci-fi genre. So that should be the most important thing really. Yeah, I'm starting to head out too. Now, talking about Southeast Asian representation, which just really you know, I actually, I'll, I'll be honest, I probably hadn't heard a lot about Southeast Asian representation until, oh, December, this past couple of years. We, I just, I don't know if I have many friends or they don't want to talk about it or what it was. I'm interested in what your perspective in what industries are getting, are getting right, getting wrong, what more stories there are to tell. What's your perspective in how that could be changed? And besides building our own tables and getting more people in, in those rooms and stuff, but what's been your experience like getting because i feel like it's maybe I'm, I'm rambling but like it's always been that minority within the minority that gets hidden mm-hmm. that we don't get to hear about and talk about and it's not getting given enough light right. so when coming from that perspective you now one how does that make you feel and two like now that we are getting some more people like yourself creating and building and you know, have that representation. What does it feel like to then be seen and be heard in that way? Obviously I'm no expert. Uh, so this is my opinion, yeah. but I think definitely there's been a lot of misrepresentation, mm-hmm. especially Bali. Let's if we're talking specifically, I don't want to talk, speak for anyone sure. else, but I don't know if anyone's ever got it. Even when I actually worked on Eat, Pray, Love in Bali, we the production designer was not, was obviously New York, and he was wonderful. He was an amazing production designer, but I feel like there wasn't much involvement from the Bali-Indonesia side in terms of the art. So there, a lot of the things that they were doing, they would have these shots, for example, outside of a home and usually you'd have a couple of little offerings and because I was set deck and I was being sent around buying all this random stuff they they would just throw down like a hundred of these offerings on the ground and I'd be like you guys know that's not how it's done that's not what it should look like this is total overkill and I'd be trying to talk talk to them about it no it looks great on screen no 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 and just like overrule me (laughs) okay I guess who am I I'm just like tiny person in Bali just trying to make my way around and I was like all right I told you I'm trying to tell you how to do it properly but go ahead I'm all good so I think I I understand why some of that happens because they don't really I think maybe are more 
fixated on the aesthetic and the framing and not really getting it right, which is a little bit frustrating. And then there's stuff like trying to shoot for Bali on a lot somewhere in Burbank is just so wrong. <laughs> like you can never get it right. You can't ever get it. I think Alias had a scene where they were in a Balinese market in one of their episodes. And I was like, no, so bad. But then also there's the language. For whatever reason, they can never get, why don't they just get Indonesian native speakers mm-hmm. if it's an Indonesian role? I get why sometimes it's difficult to cast for that because maybe some, there aren't that many available, but then provide a language coach so that they do get it right. Because the number of times Indonesian has been just mashed in dialogue is, I think, quite funny. And then, so I feel like maybe nowadays, especially in the last year and a half, there's been more drive to try and figure out a way of doing it properly, get more actually Southeast Asians, if it's an Indonesian-specific thing, get an Indonesian person to come and help you and consult and talk about it and maybe exec creative produce with you. How do you actually include the community that you're trying to speak about? What was the second thing? I don't know. Am I rambling also? No, you're, it sounds, you're wonderful. <laughs> no, I think that's that was the other question. It was like being seen as representation, being mm. seen. So if someone, you said you've seen no one get it right. So maybe you haven't seen anything. Not so that, far. Yeah. Maybe right. that's an exaggeration. Maybe like a couple of times. I right. Off the top of my head, remember one, but I'm sure there is a, an example here and there of, of getting it right. I feel like maybe like Australian films mm. are probably much closer to it because obviously mm. proximity and they have much more experience with Indonesia and Southeast Asia specific countries. So they probably have a make more of an effort to get it right. But I think it just, it almost seems obvious though, doesn't it? Get someone involved who is of that culture of that identity like Mm -hmm. that just seems like such a no-brainer to me open the doors and allow southeast asian storytellers to tell the stories or at least consult on the stories that sounds so simple doesn't it it's like (laughs) Like, that hard no it's not that yeah it's getting better yeah the industry itself is at least we are coming up as people then, also, the conversations yeah. are being had, had exactly. also now, which is great because mm-hmm. it's an actual option now to do that. And I feel like I, there's pressure to do that. <laughs> I've never heard this many conversations about Asian representation and like studios actually doing something and putting people into places and yeah. people getting managers and getting screenplays. And you've made it into multiple fellowships. And <laughs> it's incredible. So there's definitely a, a push and a, you know, a need that we're starting to see. So I think it's, I'm yeah. looking forward to seeing what's coming out. I'm really happy to. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. So as we close, what's some lasting advice you'd like to give to emerging Asian American artists and, and directors? I feel, oh my gosh, advice. If I were maybe further ahead in my career, I could give better advice. this might be general for all filmmakers it's persistence it's all about figuring out a way of keeping yourself in a good mental health state while you're also staying persistent because this industry is bonkers in a word there's so many ups and downs and there's so many rejections and more so I guess if you are from a a community that maybe is in the minority or is not being represented properly. It's even much more of a struggle, but it's just finding a way to remember that this is what you love to do, that this is your joy, that you want to create, that you want to make films, and you have to just hold on to that because things do really get hard. But if you stay in line, you just keep going forward, don't you? So just keep keep fighting the fight, but keep remembering that you love it because even on set, everyone gets really stressed out and there's divas and whatnot. But hey, can we take a minute to remember that what we've decided to do is our careers is essentially p- playing make-believe as mm-hmm. adults. You're supposed to be having fun at it. Yes, there's big budgets and there's stress about time and do I have all my shots and all this kind of stuff, but you should really be having fun while you're doing it because it is so much fun and you should love it. Yeah, if you're not loving it, you're in the wrong spot. Yeah, and (laughs) yes, 
fight for representation, inclusion, do all those wonderful things. Just make sure you don't burn out while you're doing it. Super agreed with that. Thank you so much again for being on the podcast and sharing your story with the, our audience today. And myself, I really, this is, I think, our first time talking at great length. So I really enjoyed having you on. Thank you. And if you don't mind, if everyone can check out yes. our Seed and Spark campaign, it's the weekend. And we will have a website up if I can mention it. We'll it's, put it in the show notes as well. Thank you. It's theweekendshort.com. And that'll take you straight to our Seed and Spark campaign. And it's just about sharing it. It's about making sure we tell our friends and people are interested in the storytelling part of it. If people are able to donate, that's wonderful. But we really just want to make sure that we create a community of people who, who would love the film and are looking forward to it coming out. 100%. And that's the thing that's so... Where can people follow you on your Instagrams and yeah. places? So... I think all of my handles are at Soma Helmy, so Instagram and Twitter. And my website is somahelmy.com. That's usually where you find me. Yeah, pretty easy. <laughs> pretty right. easy. Yeah. Find any deadline or variety article, you'll see it up there. <laughs> <laughs> you'll just search the name and you'll find a ton. <laughs> well, there's a few things cooking and I'm hoping it just keeps getting better. I'm very hopeful for the world right now. If we just keep it together. Get vaccinated, everybody. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Once again, thank you so much. And it was a pleasure to have you. Good luck on everything. I'm excited to see your career keep evolving and growing and watching. I'll be there at your premieres when I can. Yay. Good. (laughs) Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks again so much to Soma for joining us on the podcast. Uh, It was a wonderful conversation, and I'm just glad that, you know, there's so much still to be talked about. Southeast Asian identity is not talked about enough. I don't know enough. I almost know nothing of the culture. And just to see that other people are doing really great things uh, and promoting the representation, that's the whole key here, right? We have to do it for ourselves. We have to make sure that we're going to represent our community the best and accurately and culturally appropriate. Now, that's the thing. When we see other productions try to, I don't know, just mess with cultures, try to think what's what it's good for the visual, you know, what's good for the film, what it looks like. But that's what they want to think what it looks like, not what it actually is. And I think that's a really dis- big distinction between cultural appropriation, appreciation, and accuracy. So thank you so much for so much for just doing what you're doing, building and creating and creating those stories because we need them. So thank you. Um, you know, as we close out, I just wanted to share another thing. I actually had a, a quick acting gig this past week uh, on Sun- Monday. Um, you know, normally I really don't say I'm an actor. I am not an actor. A lot of people think I am. I don't know if it's the face, the the vocals, whatever it is. I'm not an actor, but I did have an acting gig yesterday. Um, it was a non uh, non speaking, non union role. It was you know we did on Soul Cycle bikes kind of thing. Uh, so I just had to work out a lot and be energetic <laughs> about the things that was going on. And you know, it was a lot of fun. I'm very thankful. It was a half day and I just got to do it. I wish I could do be on more sets. Even if I was a PA, I honestly don't care if I'm a PA. I actually enjoy just being on set, helping out, um, doing whatever I can. And honestly, I love being a PA cause I get just to do different things and I just there to help. I don't have to make any decisions. I just follow orders. And I think that's a, you know, it's a good job to have. You're, if you're trying to get into a PA world or just trying to get into the industry. That's a really good place to start. Um, but I did get a, you know, the acting gig was great. And, uh, you know, I think I'm actually going to think about doing more commercial work. Uh, I don't see myself as a narrative actor. I don't, as much as I love theater and all that stuff, it's just, I know that's a whole career <laughs> that could be uh, for somebody, but, you know, I don't want to discredit any of the act- great actors who put in all the time, effort, and skills into what they're building. I wish I had some time. I, I want to maybe do you know some more, but I think at the end of the day, it just might be commercial, just to get some extra cash, be on the screen. You know, people say I should be a model, stuff like that. And like, I just don't. I have too much going on to make another career for myself. That's the whole thing. Uh, but if something comes up, that's the thing I'll, I'll just take up. And if I can squeeze in some time, that's great. But I will say it was an exhausting day. Uh, I really appreciated um, what went on. It was a lot of fun. It was really silly, um, but I had a. I had a good time, got a good exercise out of it. And, um, you know, we do what we can. And 
I think that's another thing too to think about is that if you're doing one thing, if you're a filmmaker, director, writer, like go expand your realms into different things, um, different parts of the industry, just so you know what's going on, how things work. Just be on set sometimes or behind, be behind the scenes just to see how things are made, what goes on and what doesn't go on and what, what things, problems start to happen. But it also breaks up your mundane, um, your mundane, mundane day to day. I think that's really helpful too, because we can be stuck in our houses for so long, especially if you're a writer, you're like so isolated. I actually, and if you're, you know, like an introverted writer who doesn't want to see stuff, like just, you know, break out of your shell. And I would say go to a film set somehow, whether you're a PA, an extra or whatever, just be told what to do. You don't have to think about anything. Go talk to people, go enjoy people. You know, just, I didn't, I almost, I didn't get any phone numbers yesterday. I wasn't asking for any phone numbers. I wasn't talking. I just wanted to be around and it was great just to hang out with people and do it. I think that was great. I had a really good time. So, you know, and sometimes you get paid for it. So yeah, who knows? Just uh, go try different things, you know? And if you're, especially if you're a writer, like editing, editing video is a whole thing. Don't have to worry about someone being a job. Just try to go edit videos that you rip off YouTube or something. You know, see how uh, visual visuals work and things edit too. I think that was one of the things I first got into when I was a kid was editing and visual effects. Uh, and that got me in my filmmaking you know, spirit. I actually was going to be a, a computer engineer or a scientist when I was in high school. And then I took a graphic designs class and I, I ripped through the, the projects through Photoshop and Illustrator. And my teacher, I was like, I'm done with my, my work and a lot of the projects and everybody's kind of still there for another week doing this project. What do I do now? And he said, see that closet over there with all those tutorials, go pick one out and uh, just do that. And so I did, I picked up After Effects and I learned how to do um rotoscoping and visual effects and different you know matte painting and all that kind of stuff and that was really interesting and that got me into like making lightsaber videos and you know editing stuff and that was really cool so i'd already been doing like uh we used to have this thing called quack and it was a um uh, sat word visual video thing that they helped you memorize the words by doing these silly videos and so i used to make them <laughs> with me and my friends and we'd go over the vocabulary and then we'd play them during class um that was a lot of fun and i would do things like reverse the video or you know put music to it and learn different things learn editing and that's just how things started um you know and but it also got me into learning how to properly edit and time things and you know as a writer it helps me know oh that's gonna get cut that's not worth writing or, you know what, I can cut that out. That's not worth the, the time period or the um, the section. So let's just cut it. It'll, be, it'll save us a lot of time. It's not needed for the story. And I'm going to cut it anyways. So, you know, it was helped me as a, editing helped me as a writer and a director to see what things I needed to shoot uh, as a cinematographer and do all that. So, I don't know, pick up other things in the filmmaking business. It's really helpful. You know, I think acting is the one thing I haven't really done yet. I've acted in my own films just as a stand-in, always a silent character. I never wanted to speak. I actually don't like my voice very much. Uh, I always had a speech problem when I was a kid. And, uh, and I just don't do it. And I, I, I always feel like I'm screwing up something and I overact or whatever. So, um, but yeah, I, was all, I think that acting might be something I try out for a little more. Just for cash on the side, I'll get over it one day or whatever. But anyways, uh, thanks again for listening to the podcast. Again, we have our clubhouse at 6 p.m. or 5 p.m. on Wednesday. So if you're listening to us Wednesday, it's today. Um, the 18th of August, we'll be doing a discussion on Shang-Chi, the legend of the 10 rings. And then on Thursday, we'll be doing a conversation, uh, panel with, uh, mixed Asian Asians in media. So please join the conversation or listen to the replay on, on the way out. If you're also listening to this, we are also having a lot of different changes with our, our podcast, uh, just for, you know, people in the back, in our back, our team, you know, everybody's going back to school or doing different things. So, um, unfortunately, Kenna, Kenna Tenoy will be uh, leaving us for school. So, you know, great for her. We're, we're I'm so proud of her and, and appreciative of her of all the work. But if you are listening, if you are listening to this podcast and you're thinking you might be a good fit for our outreach team to book guests and, uh, you know, keep up with the podcast and help me with putting, pushing this out, keeping everybody on time, helping with show notes and, you know, getting people to on our team to kind of just coordinate all of our, our graphics and stuff like that. So if you think you're that kind of person, we would love to talk with you and see what we can do as a team and build that together. So uh, please reach out uh, through our website or info at strongagentlead.com. You know, we're still, if you listen to our clubhouse thing on the other day, we made some cool announcements and we'll be doing more stuff. So we're, we're continuing to expand. I really, um, I'm excited to see what's going to happen. 
we're always trying to plan things in advance. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's a lot of work and I take a lot of my time doing it. And honestly, I'm just glad I can be of help. I think that's the thing I want to do for this community. So, you know, as my friends too, like we, we work together, I share my tips and whatever I can help with other people. Um, you know, I'm not asking for much. I just want us to build this table. Like we have to work together, right? We're building the table. We can't build it ourselves. It's too big of a table. <laughs> Everybody's got to pick up a piece. So anytime you can help your friends, help people out, this is what you can do. And just try to go above and beyond. I think that's what we can do for each other is just help each other out. So uh, thanks again for listening and I hope you have a great week. Take care.